Well, welcome to part five of our Running with the Giants series. I've got a theme verse for this series. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. been reading it every week. Uh, read it with me today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Uh, this first tells us that the people in heaven uh, are watching us. Uh, you know, that's just really pretty cool. I mean, I just picture my grandparents watching me, you know, come to church today. Or, you know, Moses watching uh, you guys get a cup of coffee. I mean, uh, th there's a crowd of witnesses that are watching us run our race. And the implication here is that not only are they watching, but, but they are cheering you on. They are pulling for you. And so in this series, we're inviting individuals out of that great cloud, that great crowd of witnesses to, to come out and run alongside us, uh, to give us a specific word of encouragement. And we've heard from Noah and Abraham and uh, Rebecca, Abraham's daughter-in-law. Today we hear from Abraham's grandson, Rebecca's son, Jacob. Uh, if Jacob's life were to characterize a situation that, that you might find yourself in, this is what it would be. For when your life isn't turning out the way you hoped. When life isn't turning out the way you hoped. Jacob has a word of encouragement for you. Because Jacob is guilty of something that most of us are guilty of. And that is we try to control our lives. We try to live life on our terms. But the more you try to control your life, the more you lose control of your life. Jacob, uh, from the second he was born, he was trying to control his life. Genesis 25 uh, tells the story of his birth. When, when Jacob was delivered, he was a twin. And his twin brother Esau came out of the womb first, but Jacob was holding on to his heel as if to say, no, 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 you get back in here. I'm gonna be, I want to be the firstborn. And Jacob was manipulating his life from the moment it started. We see in Jacob's story that on multiple occasions, God tried to break through Jacob's attempts at control and manipulation. And God, he made some progress, but he didn't really get to do what he wanted to do in the life of Jacob until, until. And that until is what we want to look at today. Because like Jacob, many of us are trying, we're trying to write a life story different than the one that God has written for us. We're trying to determine a future different than the future God has for us. And the more we try to write our own story, the more and more messy life becomes. Jacob wanted this firstborn thing. He wanted it so badly that, that he tricked his brother Esau into selling him his birthright as firstborn for a bowl of soup. Uh, Jacob wanted his father Isaac's blessing so badly that he deceived his father into blessing him. When Jacob wanted to get married, he wound up working a bunch of years to marry a woman that he didn't want to marry in the first place. And then the whole marriage thing got really messy, and Jacob wound up alienated from his family and from his wife's family, and he just wound up in a life crisis. And I'm telling you this because you can either go through the same thing and experience it yourself, or you can learn from these giants and not have to experience it. And life is a whole lot easier if you learn from the mistakes of other people rather than repeat them. And so if Jacob came out of the stands today and ran a lap of your race with you, Jacob would say, let God 
have control of your life. Let God have control of your life. Now, even Christians are guilty of not doing this. A lot of people call themselves Christians, they go to church, but they have not really given God control of their life. You know, I'm not going to let God control my future. I'm not going to let God control my career. I'm not going to let God pick out my spouse for me. I'm not going to trust God with my money. Oh, I'm, I want this Christianity thing because I want to go to heaven when I die, but I'm not real keen on letting God control my life while I'm living it here. And if you're trying to control your life, what you're going to find out is it will lead to a crisis. And many of us right here in this room today are going through a crisis because we won't give God control of our lives. Now, you don't have to get to the crisis point. We, we can learn from Jacob without going through what he went through. Uh, Jacob came to a place where he gave God control of his life. The Bible tells us that, that Jacob met God face-to-face -face at a place called Peniel. And in that face-to-face -face encounter with God, uh, th there were three results that we see in Jacob's life. And there are three results that you'll see in your life when you give God control. Number one, on your notes on the screen, when you give God control, you'll get a new strength. You don't have to rely on you supporting you anymore. You don't have to build your own resume, your own reputation, your own career. I've got to make enough money to be self-sufficient. No, the only truly happy place in life is when you let God be your strength. It took me until I was 38 to learn that lesson. I'd been married for 20 years, I had kids, I had a good career, but I was miserable because I was trying to control my life. And uh, honestly, I had no strength because of it. I mean, I was ready to give up because life was just wearing me out. And the lesson I learned that, that I want you to learn from Jacob is, is this one. In Genesis 32, God brings us to a crisis point in, in Jacob's life. Jacob has become alienated from his family, from his wife's family, and, and now he's sent his wives and his kids and his servants and his flocks, he's sent, sent them on ahead, and it says this left Jacob all alone in the camp. He's come to the point where he's all alone. And a man came. And the way this is written in the Bible, that this man that came was either God himself, Jesus in bodily form, or at least an angelic messenger. We don't know which one. But whether it was God himself, or Jesus in bodily form, or an angelic messenger, th this man came and he wrestled with him. The man wrestled with Jacob. And for some of you, that's what every weekend service looks like. I mean, you show up here and it turns into a wrestling match with God. I remember in my season that every church service, every song, every prayer, every verse, every sermon was like God just grabbing me and throwing me to the mat. And some of you right now, God has you up in an airplane spin and it's a wrestling match. Who's going to have control of your life? The man wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. The man popped Jacob's hip 
out of his socket. The man says, Jacob, you think you're so strong? I'll show you how weak you really are. And he created a pain, created a limp, created a crisis in Jacob's life that showed him that he's not all that strong. And God is saying to you, you may think you're strong. You may think you're self-reliant, but being self-reliant is going to wear you out and it's going to bring you to a crisis point. And some of you came to church today exhausted because of your own wrestling match with God. And you may, you may be a believer, you may have been a good Christian for years. I was. But I was wearing myself out trying to control my life. And frankly, I was making a mess of it. And maybe you're making a mess out of your life too. And right here today in this service, Jesus Christ says to you, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, if you're worn out from wrestling with God, come, he'll give you rest. And if you didn't know what the next part said, and and, and most of you know, but if you didn't know what it said, you, you might think that Jesus would say, well, come to me, I'll give you rest. Come over here, lay down, take a nap. Get a nice snooze. That that might be what you expect. Jesus tells us just the opposite. He he says, I'll give you rest. And then the next thing he says is, is take my yoke. In other words, saddle up for work. Get ready for work. And Jesus says, I want you to keep working, but I want you to learn how to work my way, not your way. Take my yoke upon you. A yoke was a wooden harness that you'd put on an ox so you could fasten a plow or a wagon or farm implement to them so they could, they could work for you. And a, a yoke allowed the animal to carry a heavy burden. But the word for yoke here isn't just the generic Israel Walmart kind of yoke. It, it's not a one-size-fits-all yoke that you just pull off the shelf. Because the problem with one-size-fits-all is it doesn't. In fact, one size doesn't fit most. And every ox has different measurements. And so a a, a yoke just off the shelf would rub and wear and irritate and even hurt the animal because the yoke didn't fit right. And so Jesus says, no, no, no. The yoke he wants you to put on is the word for a custom-made yoke. It's a, a yoke that's made specifically to fit an individual animal. And that kind of yoke actually made the burden seem lighter. That's why Jesus said, I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. You know, the problem is many of you are living a life that doesn't fit because you're living a life that you've designed for yourself or you're living a life that somebody else ought to be living. But God has a yoke that will give you rest because the burden is easy and light instead of wearing you out. You know, throughout Scripture, one of the signs that you're in the center of God's will is rest. And rest doesn't mean inactivity. Rest is the condition of your soul. Rest is that while I'm working, it's not wearing me out. And that's why you get verses like, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like, say it, eagles. Yeah, you know this. You know, the, the interesting thing about eagles and why, why they, the Bible refers to them so often is, is because of the way they fly. And I've taught you this before. You know, the thing about eagles is they fly without flapping. They just, they get the job done, but 
they don't work. They just stretch out their wings and they ride the thermal currents that God has created for them. You know, all these other birds, man, they are flying with flapping. I mean, remember the three days of spring we had? And uh, I, I, mean, I had over 25 robins in my yard. I mean, it was a bad day for worms at my place. And, but you watch these other little birds, and man, they, they are flapping, 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 and they flap over here, and then, and they flap over here, and then they flap over here. And that's the way many of you are. I mean, you're just flap, 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 Sunday, 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 flap, 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 Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. And you are wearing yourself out by flapping. You know, eagles, no. They just put it out there, baby, and they just soar. Because they're not flying in their strength, they're flying in the strength that comes from, from God. You've you got to make the life choice, how you're going to live your life. Are you going to live your life flapping in your own strength, or are you going to soar on the strength that God provides? The difference is, are you going to give God control of your life? Because when you give God control of your life, you get a new strength. Number two, when you give God control of your life, you get a new identity. And actually, I want you to write down, you get a true identity. Because when you give God control, it's not just you get a new one, you get the true one that God really intended for you to have. Because God has an identity. God has a plan and a purpose. God has a unique race marked out for you. God has a unique yoke that is carved to fit you. But instead of running that race, instead of pursuing the life God has for you, you started pursuing uh, your own identity with a different name attached to it. And what your Christian life could look like if you gave God control of your life, it's not just a new identity, it's the true identity that God originally had in store for you. That's why in the next verse, the man asked Jacob, he said, what is your name? The man knew Jacob's name. He knew Jacob's name. He didn't ask because he didn't know Jacob's name. He asked because he wanted Jacob to come face to face with the identity that he was living under. He wanted him to say it out loud. He replied, Jacob. The, the name Jacob means trickster. From the day when Jacob grabbed the heel of his brother Esau, his parents knew that this kid was going to try to do it his way. Jacob means deceiver. And that's what Jacob did to get his birthright. He deceived and defrauded his brother Esau to, to get the blessing. He deceived his father. And that's why God says, your name will no longer be Jacob. Your name will no longer be trickster or deceiver. From now on, you will be called Israel. And Israel means he persists with God. Your name will be Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. You know, Jacob was living life viewing himself as a deceiver, but God gave him his new true identity. He says, no, 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 no. You're the one who fought with God and men and won. You're the one who persists. You're the one who would not give up. And you need to know that, that God does not just see you the way you are. God sees you the way you can be. God doesn't just see actualities. He sees possibilities. And God says, I, I know the script you've written, I know the character you've been playing, but i got something far better for you than that. And I can really identify with this one, because for years, I was living out a script that I was writing, and I was avoiding the script that God had written for me. 
I became a believer when I was 18, and for the next 20 years, as a church-going Christian, I did everything I could to avoid the script that God had for me. I did everything I could to not become a pastor. Now, I want you to understand that God does not call everyone to be a pastor. And if you're not a pastor, that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a script for you. You've got to run the race marked out for you. I got to run the race marked out for me. But for 20 years, I was doing everything I could to not run the race that God had marked out for me. And I wasn't doing bad things. It's not that I gave up the faith. It's not that I wandered off into sin. It's not that I became a prodigal and and, and did horrible things. No, I was doing every good thing that I could do in order to justify not doing what God was calling me to do. That's what I was doing. Because I wanted to control my life. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And I wanted to teach. I wanted to teach in a Bible college or seminary. So I resisted pastoring like the plague. And I went to college for 12 years, pursuing degree after degree after degree, because I didn't want to pastor. And I finally came to the point where I was wore out. It was a crisis point, a crisis moment for me. And in desperation, I went to the Purpose Driven Church Conference. And Pastor Rick Warren laid out for me what church could be like if it was based on the purposes of God. And I caught a vision for what it would be like to pastor that kind of a church. And that's what I've been doing for the last 20 years. And I'll tell you, I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Did I tell you I love it? Yeah, yeah. I was trying to live out a script that I was writing for myself, and God wanted to give me a new identity, a true identity. I was going to church, I was doing lots of good things, but I hadn't given God control of my life. And then I surrendered to God's purpose for me. I gave up managing my mess, and God gave me my true identity. God loves to do that. God loves to take the old identity that we've assigned to ourselves and he loves to replace it with the new true identity that he has for us. It, when you realize that, you see it all over scripture. Uh, John 1.42, just one example. I love this one. Andrew brought his brother Simon to meet Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. Jesus, Jesus said, I know who you are. They call you Simon. That's your name. And Simon means one who listens to God. You're a listener. You listen to God. You're a listener, not a doer. And Simon hadn't done anything. He just listened. And Jesus said, we're going to change your name. You will be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. And Peter means rock. And in one statement, Jesus took him from a guy who just listens to a guy who became one of the pillars, one of the foundation stones of the church. He gave him a new, true identity of who he was. And if you'll give God control of your life, he'll, he will write a script for you that will reveal your true identity. Number three, third thing that will happen. You give God control, you'll get a new joy. Joy is not circumstantial. Joy is not external. It is internal. You can have joy regardless of your circumstances. Happiness 
is driven by circumstances. In fact, the word uh, happiness comes from the word for happenings. And that's why happiness is so fleeting, because what happens is changing all the time. But joy is something much deeper than happenings. Joy is regardless of what goes on around me, because I have given God control of my life, there's nothing that earth's circumstances can do to me. And watch what happens here. Jacob says to the man, please tell me your name. God, tell me your name. And God basically just just puts him off. He says, why do you want to know my name? Because God knew that Jacob didn't need more mental understanding. Jacob didn't need more information. He needed transformation. Then he blessed Jacob there. And the word blessed is often misunderstood. People erroneously interpret that word that it means you're going to have lots of money and more stuff. Now, frankly, you can have lots of money. And you can have lots of stuff, but that's not what it means to be blessed. To, to be blessed has nothing to do with your circumstances. To be blessed means to have an internal joy. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave us the Beatitudes over and over again. He says, blessed, you're, you're going to be blessed. blessed are, you're blessed if people persecute you. You're blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you give your life fully to God, you will inherit an internal joy that nothing the earth dishes out can diminish in you. In fact, the more junk the earth dishes out, the more precious the joy becomes because it's a joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's a joy that surpasses all understanding. It's a joy that remains in the face of economic difficulty. It's a joy that remains in times of unemployment. It's a joy that remains in a season of loss and grief. It's a joy that remains even in illness, even cancer. It's a joy that remains in the face of loneliness. It's a joy that remains regardless of what happens. That's what you get if you give God control of your life. You get a new strength, you get a new true identity, and you get a new joy. Now Jacob, before he gets back in the stands, he he would say, you know, I got some don't forgets. Don't forget. You get those three things, but don't forget that brokenness precedes breakthrough. Brokenness precedes breakthrough. Before you're going to get these things, there's going to be some brokenness because nothing can happen until you give in. People often see God as judgmental. They see God as someone who expects, even demands perfection. But God does not expect perfection from you. God only expects one thing, honest confession. God is not looking for you to come to him and say, man, I had a great week this week, God. I've eliminated 90% of my sin. No. God is looking for the person who comes and says, God, I can't do this without you. Apart from you, I am lost. Apart from you, God, I am incapable of living life. God is looking for somebody who will just say to him, you know, at some point in your Christian life, you've just got to go and give it up. Surrender. All through Scripture, God is inviting you into that place. God says, you just need to give control to me. I mean, you can try and manage your mess, but if you'll give God control, he will enrich your life in a way you can't even imagine. And it doesn't come from perfection, it comes from honest confession. 
Psalm 51 says, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In fact, God, not only does God not despise it, God is drawn. He's drawn to a broken and contrite heart. 1 Peter 5 says that God opposes the proud. Circle that word, opposes. Listen, you you don't ever want the words God opposes uh, together in reference to you. You don't want God opposing you. But if you think you're going to handle life on your own, that's the situation you put yourself in. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Peter says, so humble yourselves. You're going to be humbled. The key is you want to humble yourself. There's a difference between being humble and being humiliated. (laughs) So humility or humiliation... One of them's coming. Which one do you want? Peter says, you want to humble yourself before God. Under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And some of you, that's where you're at today. You just need to say, God, I've tried to control my life. And I give up. It's not working. I surrender it to you. And you want to do that. Because you want to lose yourself. You must lose yourself to find yourself. You've got to lose yourself to find yourself. Jesus said it this way. He says, calling the crowd to join his disciples. I want you to circle the word join. Calling the crowd to join his disciples. That's what I've been doing for the last 20 years. That's what, I do. That's what I'm doing to you right now. Because some of you, you're in the crowd. And it's time for you to join the disciples. Time for you to enter into this process. He said, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. You want to, you you got to give it up. You got to join the disciples. That's why over and over and over again, I tell you, you got to get in a small group. You need to go through growth track. You need to get plugged into the dream team. Don't just attend church. Belong to the church. Don't just consume. Contribute. And I don't mean money. I mean sweat equity. I mean service. I mean activity. I mean do something. Because life is too important not to do these things. And when you do these things as an act of surrender to God, That's when you're going to find your most fulfillment. When you find yourself on God's terms, you find fulfillment. This last verse, I I, I don't want your head, I want your heart. I I just want, as a pastor, to just invite you into this process. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down, 
to its level of immaturity. God brings out the best of you. Develops a well-formed maturity in you. A well-formed maturity in you. That's the question I got for you today. Is do you want that? Do you want to grow up to become spiritually mature? Because I tell you, too many Christians are Peter Pan Christians. Oh yeah, they want to be a Christian. They want the hope of heaven, but they don't want to grow up. They don't want to grow up. They would rather try and manage their mess than give control of their life to God. And God, that is not God's desire for your life. You wallowing in your own mess. God has something far greater for you than that. But I can tell you from experience, he won't force it on you. He won't force you to do it. He calls you to do it. He invites you to do it. He will give you the strength to do it. But he doesn't force you to do it. Instead, God just lets your mess run its course (laughs) until you become so worn out you can't fight him anymore. And maybe you're here today and that's the point where you're at. You're ready to turn your life over to God because you just can't bear it anymore. Or maybe things haven't gotten that miserable yet. And God is telling you, you don't have to wait for the misery. You can learn from other people. You can learn from Jacob, and you can avoid that misery. But God wants you to give him control of your life. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the hope that we find in there, that God, indeed, you've got a race marked out for us. You've got a yoke you've made specifically for us. And God, I just pray that you'd help each person here to just surrender to your will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, it's time here, time now to give you control. And you have promised to bless us and to pour out your strength and your joy and your meaning and your purpose into us. God, there's no, there's no rational reason to resist. And so today we come, we surrender. In Jesus' name, amen.